With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. All right, crossover podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Happy Tuesday, Howard. Do we have to fake that it's Tuesday because it runs on Tuesday? Okay, fine. Happy Tuesday, Mannix. Good to be here with you. Way to to let people behind the curtain. For all people know, we're recording this first thing Tuesday morning so they can get it into their proverbial inboxes at like 6 a.m. on Tuesday. You're right. 4 a.m. You're right. Ready to roll. It's the crack of dawn. A rooster actually just crowed outside my window in Brooklyn because that's how we roll. I woke up and I thought, let's get it. Let's talk NBA on a Tuesday morning at sunrise. All right. Now you've just taken the fun out of all that. But we got a lot to get into uh, on this show. We're going to talk about Ben Simmons' future in Philadelphia. Brad Stevens pulls off his first trade as president of basketball operations of the Celtics. A lot of drama down in Dallas where the Mavericks are in search of a new GM and a new head coach. And what exactly happened with Stan Van Gundy in New Orleans? We'll dive into that in a little bit more. But first, Howard, Utah is out of the playoffs. The Jazz, the number one seed in the Western Conference, the team with the best record in the NBA. They are done. So where do they go from here? As we always do, 
We bring in somebody smarter than us to discuss this topic. And for that, we bring in Tony Jones. Does a great job covering uh, the Utah Jazz for The Athletic. How's it going, Tony? What's going on? Thank you for having me, as always. Appreciate you, Uh, Chris. No problem. No problem. It's a good time to talk about Utah after... I mean, this... Let's start here, Tony. Like, last year in the bubble, that was disappointing. Blowing a 3-1 lead to Denver. But, But you know being around that team... Like they felt like they learned something from that. Like they they took that they took that loss as a positive. I don't know how you take this loss as a positive to to lose two straight games to a Clipper team playing without Kawhi Leonard to blow a twenty five point lead in the second half. I mean this this feels to me feels exponentially worse than what they uh, experienced in the bubble. How do you see it? Um, I see there's a little both. I mean it's it's definitely. You know, it's it's a bad way to go out um, in a season, right? Like, you know, you look at the the different context of everything that happened. Reggie Jackson had 22 points in Tennessee in the second half. Uh, they gave up 81 points in a half. They they gave up a 180 offensive rating in a half. They gave up. Um, they gave up, obviously, we haven't mentioned Terrence Mann. They gave up 39 points to Terrence Mann. So, you know, you look at all of that stuff and you look at, you know, just everything, like every, everything in terms of Utah's worst nightmares, uh, worst nightmare had, has, they were, they were exposed, right? Like, you know, we talked about, can you attack the switch in defense? We, talk, we talked about that all season and when it mattered, you know, the switching defense kind of took took a lot took a lot of the jazz out of the game and, and made it a Donovan Mitchell series. We asked, can you guard a, a small ball lineup, a team that, that goes five out? And you know, the, the thing about it is is I don't think this series is remotely on Rudy Gobert. I think it's almost all on the fact that Utah can't couldn't guard the ball and and that put Gobert in two spots at once. Um so you know the, the Jazz need guys that can guard the ball next year. They need um, – they probably need a small ball center. They probably need uh, a third rotational point guard in case, you know, one of Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell gets injured. Um, you know, on one hand, you know, I look at the context and I, and I think, you know, even with everything that happened, even with everything that happened wrong with the Jazz, they probably – I won't say probably, but they could have – still won the series if Conley was was 100%. But, you know, championship teams, the, the Jazz want to win a championship, and championship teams are matchup proof. And the Utah Jazz right now are clearly not matchup proof, and that's where their fatal flaw is. You wrote a great piece over at The Athletic kind of summing up the the end of the season, exit interviews, and and everything that kind of went into the end of this year. And you talked about Mike Conley there, who will be – an unrestricted free agent this summer. The Jazz are in a good position with bird rights to to sign Conley to a big contract. But you make the point, and it's a good one, that you know Conley, uh, while when he's healthy, has been excellent, especially this year, has some durability issues. I mean, how do you think the Jazz view Mike Conley in terms of you know the, the need to bring him back? How do you think they view him? Well, I think if you're the Jazz, if you're going to go all in for a championship next year, you probably you're, you're, I'm 90% certain you probably have to bring him back because if you don't bring him back, 
uh, there's no cap space to replace them. So, you know, even, you know, if you have Conley for, let's say you have Conley for 50 of the 82 games, that's better than having them from zero of the 82 games, as long as, you know, none of those 32 games are in the playoffs. Um, you know, so the, the, the Jazz are just a better team with Conley on the floor. Um, but what you need to do is you need to, if you bring them back, you, you need you need one more rotational point guard. And the Jazz didn't have that this year. They were, you know, Joe Ingles was their third point guard. And they paid for that because by the time the Jayoffs, by the time the playoffs came, Joe Ingles didn't have anything left in the tank. He had a great, great regular season. And then, you know, he was exhausted and out of gas in the playoffs because he has spent so many minutes at point guard when, when Mike Conley was out. So um, if you do bring Mike Conley back, you got to bring another point guard in. And that's going to be tricky because you're going to have to bring a point guard in that knows he's not going to play every night, but at the same time is rotational when he does play, when and if he does play. And, you know, the, the, the crux of that is, what point guard that's rotational is going to go to a situation where he knows he's not going to play every night. So that, that that's a hard thing for the jazz. Um, you know, but, but other than that, I mean, I think you have to bring, try to bring Conley back because this is going to be an exponentially um, uh, financially um, expensive roster next year, whether you bring him back or not. And, you know, you don't want to not bring him back and just be a first or second round playoff exit. You want to bring them back, and, and if, if you're paying $200 million for the roster, you might as well bring them back and try to go for it for another championship next year. You get the sense that Mike wants to be there. I mean, Mike's notorious for never wanting to change anything. Like, he would have probably stayed in Memphis forever if he had, uh, if they were, you know, competitive on some level. Uh, being around him the last couple of years, do you get the sense that he, he feels comfortable in Utah? You know, I thought his exit interview quotes were, were really interesting in that, right? Like, you know, there was a lot of wait and see, there was a lot of hedging. Um, and you know, I didn't ex necessarily expect that, you know, I expected, Hey, if, if, if the jazz want me, let's try to work something out. But, you know, as always, this is free agency. Anything can happen. That kind of quote. And it was more like, well, I had fun here for two years. I have wonderful teammates. It's been an up and down two years. We're going to see what happens. And I, I didn't necessarily expect that. So, you know, I, I think that changes my opinion, my view on the matter a little bit. Um, you know, I think that both sides are going to have to uh, sit down and talk and, and, and see if they could come to something. See, the big thing with Mike is, and this is what I know for sure, he wants to win a championship. And that's 100% certain. So let's say he, if he doesn't come back to Utah, who is out there that can pay him enough money? Because, you know, a mid-level is lowballing. Who is out there that can pay him enough money uh, to to make the Jazz say, nope, we, we have bird rights, but we're not going to go there. Um, but at the same time, would be a better in a better spot than the Jazz uh, if they were to get them. Um, you know, the, the Jazz still have a path to contention if they do the right things around the roster. It won't be easy, but they still have to do the right. But but it's still doable. Um so who who's out there that can be a, a, a better situation from for Mike than the Jazz? Um, you know, obviously the Knicks have a ton of money to throw. Um, just throwing something out there, not not reporting anything. Just you know, just like for argument's sake, the Knicks have a ton of money to throw. 
but how good are the Knicks in that scope of things with Mike Conley as opposed to the Jazz with Mike Conley? So, you know, there's a lot of things that, that, that you know, Mike's going to have to think about. There's a lot of things that the Jazz is going to have to think about, especially with Ryan Smith, the new owner. Um, and, you know, it's we're, we're in a relatively short window to have to do it because free agency is a little over five weeks away. You mentioned Ryan Smith, the new owner, a man with deep pockets, uh, but owners sometimes want to put their own fingerprints on a team. And look, you've heard the Danny Ainge stuff as often as I have. I mean, it's just out there and Danny can deny it all he wants. But I mean, I've heard plenty about him wanting a job in that jazz organization. I mean, how how stable do you think the front office is right now with Dennis Lindsay at the top, Justin Zanuck? And are you expecting any kind of of changes there this offseason? Well, um, I'm not 100% not expecting changes. Let's just put it that way. Mm. So, you know, um, just with anything, you know, a new owner comes in, he's going to want, you know, he's going to want to do things his way. A new GM comes in, he's going to want his own coach. A new coach comes in, he's going to want his own, his, his own staff. So it's just the nature of things. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure there are going to be some kind of changes, you know, maybe Danny gets bought in. Maybe he doesn't. I mean, I've also heard Shane Battier thrown around. So, you know, maybe Shane Battier comes in. Maybe Shane Battier doesn't. I mean, there's all, all kinds of rumors uh, that, that, are, that are swirling around. Um, I think the, the Dwayne Wade dynamic is interesting because, um, you know, from, from my understanding, he has a real say on what's going on. It's not a typical, you know, minority ownership type of thing. You know, he, he has – from my understanding, he he's gained a real voice in, in things. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And and like you said, you know, and, and like we said, with, with Mike calling a free agency, if free agency is five weeks away, then if, th- if things are going to happen, if changes are going to be made, I think you're going to see him rather quickly. Before we let you go, um, who enters next season with the most pressure on them within the Jazz? Is it Donovan Mitchell? Is it Rudy Gobert? Is it Quinn Snyder? Because, you know, look, you, you can have one failed year with, uh, you know, being the top seed and, and coming up short in the second round. You do it again, and then it becomes a little bit more problematic. So who enters next year with the most pressure? Well, I'm going to take Donovan Mitchell out because he's, 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 he's a borderline superstar right now. So uh, I don't think he's, you know, and, and not only that, I mean, his performance in this playoff, his performance in in, in the bubble in the playoff, um, you know that's going to earn him a lot of a lot of rope, um, especially for a fan base that's praying for a third contract from him. So you know he, he's he he's he's kind of tough one right now in my view. Um, but so this is my feeling: if Ryan Smith says, "Okay, let's bring this roster back." And then let's make changes. So they bring the let's say they bring the roster back. Let's say they bring almost all of the core back, and they go out and get a couple wings that can defend. You know, a couple of guys that make them a little bit more versatile, and, and playoffs. The whole roster, from top to bottom, to me, is that is is under a performance review. You know, you almost have to either win a championship get to an NBA finals or at the very least get to a Western conference title. Otherwise, you know, with how much that roster is going to cost next year, uh, you're going to see sweeping changes a year from now. 
uh, with, with the rosters. So, you know, I, I, I think that the Jazz want to err, want to go with a little bit of continuity um, um, this time around because I think they think that they're close enough. Uh, and I actually agree. I think they're about 75 to 80 percent of the way there. Um, but if they don't win big next year, uh, I think you're going to see I think you're going to see a blow up for sure. Check out Tony's stuff over at The Athletic. Did a great job all season long. We'll be all over it all off season. Tony, great to catch up, man. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, my guy. I appreciate you. All right, Howard, let's talk about the Philadelphia 76ers and what a unbelievable disappointment it has to be for Philadelphia to get beat in the second round. They lose game five on their home floor. They lose game seven on their home floor. Ben Simmons, look, to call him a non-factor in the fourth quarter of these games, Howard, would be a gross understatement. Like, he was just not involved. Like, statistically, not involved. The last four games of this series, he did not attempt a shot in the fourth quarter. And what Simmons and this series are going to be remembered for are is that play late in the fourth quarter when he had an open dunk, he passed it up, and he gave it to Matisse Tybel, who made one of two free throws. Even Joel Embiid afterwards said uh, that this was on Ben Simmons. In fact, let's play Joel Embiid after the game. Man, uh, I'll be honest. Um, I thought the turning point was, uh, uh, you know, when uh, we... Um, I don't know how to say it, um, but I thought the turning point was just, you know, we had uh, an open shot and, you know, we missed, uh, we made one free throw and uh, we missed the other and then they came down and scored uh, and uh, we didn't get a good pos- uh, possession on the other end and Trey came back and he made a three and then from there uh, down four uh, and then I go I So Howard, it doesn't sound like things are salvageable in Philadelphia, which probably means Daryl Morey is going to be burning up the phones over the next couple of months trying to find the right deal for Ben Simmons. How how do you view this situation? Yeah, look, there's a lot of ways to to look at this. Um, And I know like Ben Simmons has taken a lot of shots. He's absorbing a lot of shots in the last day or so. And understandably so. Look, you're a guy who's been all, all NBA before, not this season, but he's been all NBA. He's, so he's a top 15, top 20 type player in this league. There's more responsibility that goes with that and more blame that comes when you, you don't perform. And yes, in the past, a lot of us have highlighted, hey, look, there's some limitations with this player. And the pushback is always, yeah, but look at all the things he does really well. And that's always a fair case. It's a fair case for a year or two or three. But eventually, if it's about championships, and that's kind of the goal here, then you do have to start to look at where a player's limitations are holding you back. It's a huge hole in his game for a guy who's a primary ball handler. And if Ben Simmons were, in fact, instead a point forward, a guy who was a part-time ball uh, handler, who was sharing that with a primary point guard and a guy who's, who does shoot and who can break down a defense in other ways and, and score in the mid-range and everything else, then it wouldn't be as big of a glaring uh, you know, part of his game that's missing. But he is their primary point guard most of the time. And so it, you can't, in the year 2021 of the NBA, you cannot be an elite primary ball handler without some ability and some willingness to shoot. 
And what we saw was was like the most exaggerated version. You pointed out the stat of not taking a, a shot in the fourth quarter of the last four games. That is that is like the worst nightmare version of the things that people were highlighting as concerns in, in earlier years. So I don't want to say, as some people have, this means Ben Simmons is broken. This means Ben Simmons has no trade value. This mean, This is the end. It's probably the end of the road for Simmons and Embiid as a duo, and probably should be. But Ben Simmons is still an incredibly talented player who have great value elsewhere in a different role. So, and listen, you and I both know this. Daryl Morey's as aggressive as they come among NBA executives. He's already tried to trade him once for Harden. Um, it's it's it, it seems like almost an inevitability. They got to find the right deal, but you got to think it's coming. Yeah. Look, in years past, you could say that there were reasons not to break up this group, whether it was two years ago when the Sixers were maybe one bouncing ball from Kawhi Leonard away from perhaps winning that game, game seven, and maybe winning a championship themselves. The Raptors went on that year to win the title. Last year, the messed up season, the bubble, Ben Simmons injury, the lack of shooting that they had on that team, you could say, well, let's just nibble around the fringes a little bit and we'll still be fine. This year, there are no excuses. Ben Simmons was healthy. Joel Embiid was not healthy, but he played great uh, in this uh, this series. They have enough shooting. Seth Curry was a, a, a huge get for them uh, before the start of the season. And they still get beat by the Atlanta Hawks in the second round. Not the Brooklyn Nets, the Atlanta Hawks in the second round. And... That's something, if you're a front office exec in Philadelphia, that's got to be a blaring red light to stop this train, all right, to make a change and do something different with this group. I'm with you. Ben Simmons still does have trade value. It definitely took a hit in this postseason because there are a lot of executives, and I talked to a few of them, that are looking at Ben Simmons and saying, is he ever going to be anything more than this offensively? Is he always going to be the kind of liability that he's been in previous postseasons. And he, look, he has been a liability, Howard, in other postseasons. Like, you know, he was fine when Jimmy Butler was there, but, you know, that's when you have Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid, and you're not asked to do as much on the offensive end of the floor. Without Butler, he has been very good in the postseason. And I, I think there are a lot of people around the league that are wondering if that's going to change. Now, I do think there's a natural trading partner here. How about Portland? Like, should that not be the first phone call that Daryl Morey makes to Portland to see if they want to swap Ben Simmons for C.J. McCollum. I mean, look, we are idiots here in the media. Sometimes we do the fake trade game and like, oh, this makes some sense. And then really you start talking to people and they're like, no, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But this, this deal makes a lot of sense. If you're Portland, you are looking for defense and playmaking. That's one of the things or two of the things that you were missing last year. Ben Simmons does that. He would help a defense that ranked in the bottom third of the NBA last season. I think it'd be a really nice compliment off of Damian Lillard, who has no problem with shooting the basketball. And if you're Philadelphia, C.J. McCollum is the kind of offensive-oriented score, lead guard, that you've been looking for over the last couple of years. I mean, I don't know. I, I, often t- I don't like to play the trade machine game, but this seems like a no-brainer for both of these teams to make a swap for two guys that are both under contract for, I think, I know Simmons through 2025, I think McCollum a couple more years. Like this, this to me is a trade that makes a lot of sense. So I've been thinking about this because I like it in the abstract. What position is Ben Simmons playing for the Portland Trailblazers? 
Oh, he, I mean, look, Lillard and McCollum coexisted as co-point guards. Like, you know, McCollum right. brought the ball up a lot. So I think Simmons right. could slide into that offensive role. So, he, so he's the two. They're still playing with a traditional four and a traditional five. Because what you're going to have, to an extent, is a different version of the challenge that the Sixers had, which is Nurkic is not a stretch five, and Ben Simmons doesn't shoot. So now you're going to have two non-shooters. So is that going to be a problem? You know, who are you plugging in at the three and four and if Ben Simmons is actually now your your point forward and sharing ball handling duties with with Lillard as point guard, again you've got two non shooters now in the front. Like they, there are some things that you'll have to consider. And, but it, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. Yeah. But I don't think perfect exists out there in a trade for it, Ben Simmons. It, well, but it points up this, which it goes back to Ben Simmons. Nothing is perfect as long as you have a guy who, in this day and age, who is not a center. You can have a non shooting center. You cannot have pretty much anybody in any other position who doesn't shoot some, right? And especially if you're with the ball in your hands a lot, the way to punish defenses as a ball handler is if you come up too too tight on me, I'm driving past you. If you play off me, I'm going to stick it in your face. I'm going to shoot it. Well, he's he doesn't have that part of his game. And and so I just don't think that that player can function at a high level consistently in this league. Yeah, you can win a bunch of games in the regular season. You can win a round or two. But we've seen the limits of building around Ben Simmons now around a player who refuses to shoot and who has not, not developed that part of his game. And in the past few years, people would push back really hard. Chris, if you pointed this out, look at all the things he does well. He's an elite defender. He can guard one through five, and he's a great passer, and especially at that size. All true. It's why I still say he's a great player. He's a really talented player. But every superstar in this league, the at least the all-timers, they work on their game. They develop. They expand. They keep working at it. I'm not saying that Ben Simmons doesn't want to do that, but we haven't seen evidence of it where it regards shooting from mid-range or from distance. And this is a guy who at one point, I think this was two training camps ago, whenever, you know, it's time has no meaning anymore. But at one point he was asked about like the shooting and he said, you know, I made the all-star team last year. Like that yeah. was his pat glib response. And I understand that's maybe just a, me- a defense mechanism. It's something you say at a press conference to get these guys off your back. But to me, that was alarming. You can't just say I'm an all-star, therefore I don't need to keep working on my game, expanding it, evolving as a player. And so, you know, more, you know, there's a, there are fit issues in Philly. There are fit issues with whatever team you want to trade him to and that might consider acquiring him. But ultimately, all those things get answered if Ben Simmons just decides, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a, a decent shooter and a willing shooter. That solves a lot. Yeah, Ben Simmons in four full seasons has attempted 34 three-point shots. He is five for 34. This year, he was actually his best three-point shooting percentage at 30%, three for 10 from three-point range. Part of the problem with Ben Simmons is that, to your point, he won't pull the trigger on these shots. And look, a criticism of Brett Brown and now of Doc Rivers is that why aren't you forcing him to take more shots in the regular season so that come playoff time, he's comfortable with it? You can't I don't expect know you could, Ben Can you force a guy to shoot? Yes, you can. You can say I am not. You can say I'm, you. You can say you're running wind sprints at practice if you don't attempt five threes in this game. <laughs> I don't care where they're from. Attempt five threes in this game. Look, Utah did it this year. Like they had one of the most prolific three point offenses in NBA history, or at least in recent NBA history. The with their guys just jacking up shots early. Like say to Ben Simmons, I want five three pointers out of you. I don't care if they go in. Oh for five doesn't matter to me. You've got to take these shots because you cannot expect him to have any kind of confidence shooting the ball in the postseason if he doesn't do it in the regular season. So that that to me. Now, to your point about like the shooting, like he's got to make a choice. You know, we have seen there's historical evidence of players that 
had broken shots, fixed them, and became high-level or at least very good shooters. I go back to, going, let's go way back. Michael Red was an example. Came out of Ohio State, couldn't shoot the basketball. He's told the story where George Carl said to him, you got to learn to shoot if you're going to stay in the NBA. Well, he did learn to shoot and became one of the better shooters in the NBA during this era. A more an modern Olympian. example. An Olympian, great, great player. Uh, a more modern example, Kawhi Leonard. Came out of San Diego State, was basically kind of a power forward type. Um, he went to San Antonio. He worked with Chip England. He became a very good three-point shooter. But he committed to it. Like, he allowed the Spurs to change his form. He embraced it after that. I think Ben Simmons, his shooting ability is salvageable, but not with this form. Like, Howard, you talk to people around the league like I do. Like, there are still people that think that Ben Simmons is shooting with the wrong hand. Like, that's still a thing that's out there in the basketball universe. Wherever he goes next, be it Philadelphia or somewhere else, that team is going to have to change his shot. They have to structurally work with him to develop something that is useful because he cannot be on the floor in the fourth quarter of playoff games if he's not making free throws and he's not even a remote threat from anywhere outside of 15 feet. Well, and because of the era we're in, too, right? Like, maybe you could have gotten away with this version of Ben Simmons 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. This is a three-point era that you win and lose in large part a lot of the time based on how much, how many threes you're taking, as well as, of course, the, the accuracy of it. But you you got to take and make a lot of threes in today's NBA. People don't have to like it, but that's the reality of the league now. And I'll go back further than you. Jason Kidd, Jason Kidd, who our listeners, if depending on their age, might remember only as a really good three-point shooter, not a volume three-point shooter, but a very high percentage three-point shooter. That didn't come until like his eighth, ninth year in the league. Do you know what they called Jason Kidd during his first five, six, seven years in this in this league? Asen, because he's got no J. That was a joke people made. That was a thing. It wasn't a great joke. Not going to win any uh, stand-up comedy awards, but they used to call him Asen because he's got no J because Jason Kidd didn't shoot. But he was an incredible passer and a great defender, kind of like a shorter Ben Simmons, basically. But Jason Kidd also recognized, even in that era, I'm going to have to be more of a threat with my jumper, too. And eventually he did develop it. I mean, he, you know, he shot a fair number of them early on. Um, so he was at least willing to shoot even when he wasn't a good three-point shooter. But he became a really good three-point shooter, you know, about, you know, a decade in. Yeah, with Dallas uh, was kind of the transformation of Jason Kidd and him becoming a uh, a pretty good three-point shooter. Yeah, it, look, it's it's doable. You can accomplish it. You just have to be willing to, you know, change your shot. And a player's shot is, you know, it, it's sacred to them. Like, it's it's what got them to a certain point. You know, Ben Simmons is an all-star. He's right. Um, and he's an all-star playing the way he wants to play. I think he can be a better player, an MVP type, if he changes the shot and becomes a a more a bigger threat from the perimeter but I, i'd look i if but, i was a betting man howard i'd say ben simmons days in philadelphia are over i think daryl will yeah. daryl who remember inherited him like Dar- this is not daryl's not part of the process like he yeah. inherited ben simmons yeah he's he could feel totally free in doing that the danger of course here is this you trade him and then he won't wakes up one day and decides you know what i really need to work on that shot and start taking it like you could be haunted by it and you know look a year ago we were talking about or at least i was talking about fake Simmons for Beal trades. Now we're talking about Simmons for McCollum. I don't like. I'm not sure that his value has actually decreased that much from Beal to McCollum. And CJ's a gr- really good player, but he's not Bradley Beal. Um, but that's the danger here: is that you're is that you may be selling low, and depending on how the rest of the league perceives him in trade value, um, and that he ends up becoming a shooter somewhere else. And and you know, but 
you, you st- still, I, I just don't see how you go forward with what they've got. You, you got to make the next, the next uh, evolution iteration of this team. Yeah, I agree. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, speaking of trades, on Friday, we had a rare postseason trade with Boston sending Kemba Walker and this year's first-round pick, 16th overall, to Oklahoma City for Al Horford. The move frees the Celtics from the final year of Kemba's deal, saving the team about $32 million in the process. Here is how Brad Stevens explained the move on Monday. We had to look at with the idea of moving um, that first-round pick this year, right? It gave us the opportunity to look at a, um, a road ahead with a few more options from a financial flexibility standpoint. Um, with um, all of our future, you know, first round picks passed this year, uh, which again gives you more options. Uh, and then, 
you know, it was the, um, it was the best deal um, that we thought with regard to, you know, returning um, players, right? I mean, the, the idea um, or the opportunity to add um, Al, who makes significantly less money, but is, um, you know, a really good player that has corporate knowledge of this environment. All right, Howard, Brad Stevens was on the job like a minute and a half before he traded his former all-star point guard. Uh, do you like this deal, Kemba Walker, for Al Horford? It's fine. <laughs> like, like, I like Al Horford. Um, we haven't seen much of him in the past six months or so because he was, you know, basically put in mothballs by the Thunder. He's got a lot of miles, and there's age there, but Al Horford's a really good player and a great guy to have in your locker room, and he was good with the Celtics, and he's an easy, perfect fit for whoever the new coach is um, for that team. And Kemba Walker has knee issues, has not played the full season in a couple of years, and has a big contract, and like it makes some sense. But the I thought the most potent version of the Celtics of the last few years was when they had Kemba Walker... And Jason Brown and Jason Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I'm going to always mess that up. Tatum and Brown, you know, those guys, they're stars. And Gordon Hayward. So at one point, the plan was we're going to have four guys all out there who can handle, shoot, make plays for themselves or for others. Like the dynamism of that offense, of the potential of that group was really high. And then Gordon Hayward left. And now Kemba Walker's gone. And I don't know who their starting point guard is on opening night in 2021. And you've got your, you've still got a great foundation with these two young stars, Chris. These two great young wings who can play both sides of the ball. But you got to have more. And I, I don't, you know, I, a lot of the, the question of, of, like, is it a good trade or not, kind of depends on how they backfill point guard and how they bolster the offense again because they're going to need a little more but yes it saves them some money in the, in the short term gets them farther from the luxury tax threshold gives them more flexibility whether it's to resign evan fournier or or do something else i get it i understand the thinking i'm just not sure where it's getting them the celtics had as much information about kemba walker's knee as anyone they have been dealing with it for about 18 months now at this point uh they clearly believe that knee is going to be a problem for him over the final two years of that contract. That's the only reason that they should have pulled the trigger as quickly as they did. And that's really my biggest issue with this trade, Howard, is the timing of it. Like, what was the rush? Was was there a market I didn't know about for Al Horford at 35 years old with a year plus a big buyout, $14 million in the second year of this deal? Was there some kind of massive market for him. There was no market for him at the trade deadline. Does that going to change at this point? Like, I just, the timing was curious. I would have, and look, and maybe Boston doesn't feel like they need another young player. They've got a few, some good ones, some you know, not so good. But I would have liked to have seen, you know, Brad Stevens and company go to the combine and, you know, check guys out and like go through the process. And Brad Stevens has spent the last year plus coaching. Like, he hasn't been involved in the draft process. The Celtics have, you know, smart draft people. Dave Lewin is excellent with that team. But, you know, Brad's the one making the decision. I would have maybe liked to see him kind of take some time to go through all these uh, potential draft picks before I gave away a a pretty good pick. I mean, the 16th overall pick is not bad. It's just outside the lottery. So uh, I would have liked to have seen that. But, yeah, look, they, 
they create some flexibility. They obviously believe that that flexibility will help them to re-sign Evan Fournier, which is a priority for them this offseason. They apparently created another trade exception. Like, How many trade exceptions do you need if you're the Celtics? And you get off that Kemba contract. But to your first point, this has got to be the first of several subsequent moves. Like, You're not going into... The, uh, the season with your backcourt being Marcus Smart and Evan Fournier. That's just not going to happen. With Peyton Pritchard kind of backing them up. That, that, you're going to have to do something else. Plus, you've got like six centers now. So I think you've got to shake that up a little bit before you report to training camp. Yeah, and they got Moses Brown in this deal, and Moses Brown had some really eye-popping games down the stretch. He's a guy that I, I get. I think he put up numbers on a bad team. Like Oklahoma yeah, City, I mean, signs, he's, they signed that contract, but that's one of those contracts that just gives them control and not yeah. you know, no, I, further I, rewards. I, I get it. But, you know, somebody else to, to, to take a look at. Listen, maybe if nothing else, what Brad Stevens learned from uh, being in this organization, working for Danny Ainge, is you can't get criticized for bad draft picks if you don't have the draft pick. So... Uh, you know, little little subtle, you know, way of avoiding that that backlash. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is also the point of. I'm not sure if I was a new GM, I'd want my first deal to be with Sam Presti. Like, <laughs> he tends to win. He tends to win, and and Sam has a way of like, yeah, you know, you're this is definitely Al, you're getting good value back a return. Yeah, like Sam, Sam is a manipulator. Like, and that's his job. Like, it, he is supposed to win these trades well and we know what's going to happen he's going to flip Kemba Walker for yet more value and he's going to win on the back end of it too I had an exec text me right afterwards who said Kemba for Porzingis and a first round pick next summer like Porzingis would be the next like in in a year in a year yeah in a year partially hurts like destroy like I will say this like if there's a medical staff in the NBA that can get Kemba back on the court it might be Oklahoma City they've got an excellent medical staff out there I, I don't like the fit is bizarre. Like you know, Kemba and Shea Gildas Alexander. I don't know. Plus you got he's, Lou he's Dort not, there. Yeah, but he's not staying. He's not staying, but he might have to play a full season. Is what I'm saying. Like he might have to kind of go through that. Um, it'll be interesting to see how you know the coaching staff there deals with it. But I, I think it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Oklahoma City rehabilitate Kemba so that he's playing like 60 games next season and plays well enough that the Mavericks turn around and be like, you know what, this Porzingis thing's not working. Luca needs a point guard next to him. How about Kemba Walker, former All-Star? Looks like he's got his legs back. One year left on his contract. Let's go make that deal. And Porzingis sure. becomes uh, the next distressed asset that Oklahoma City uh, has to deal with. A uh, couple of organizational changes I want to hit on. Dallas, who I just mentioned. I mean, talk about turnover. I mean, the Athletic wrote a terrific piece detailing uh, all the kind of behind-the-scenes drama in uh, Dallas on Monday of last week. Uh, talking about the shadow GM in Bob Volgaris, the professional sports gambler who was hired by Mark Cuban in 2018. Mark Cuban turned around and, in a tweet that will go in the Mark Cuban Hall of Fame, called the story total BS. Uh, The story turned out to be pretty accurate, Howard, as Donnie Nelson was fired, and that is how I was told by someone close to Donnie Nelson that he was fired from that team. And then Rick Carlisle decides, you know what? I'm kind of over this. I'm going to walk away uh, from the Mavericks after 13 seasons. So give me your take on a wild week in Dallas that saw more roster turnover from one of the more stable franchises this century. Uh, More roster turnover than maybe they've ever had. No, one of the most stable. I mean, it's been 24, 25 years since the Mavericks have had somebody other than a Nelson, Don or Donnie, running basketball ops. 
or associated in some way with the franchise. That's a long time. Mark Cuban inherited the Nelsons. Mark Cuban's never actually really hired a head of basketball ops. And he's barely even presided over coaching hires because I think they've had two, right? Or maybe three. Um, I think well, he had Don Nelson to Avery Johnson to Rick Carlisle. That's it. So in Cuban's entire time, they've not really, and it's to their credit, by the way, in large part to their credit. I think that organization did get stale. That's a danger. Like we, continuity can be really good in this league and sticking by your front office and your coach and giving them time to smooth out the bumps or, you know, survive a bad season here or there, survive a couple of bad personnel moves, survive a bad coaching hire. Like you need to give them latitude. I always say this, like, Hire the best people, get the hell out of the way. And I think in large part, the uh, what the Mavericks have done right is that they had good people. Like Rick Carlisle is one of the best coaches in this league. Donnie Nelson, he's the one who made the deal to get Luka. And he was intimately involved with getting Nowitzki back in the day. Those are two guys who can define your entire career and, and your franchise for decades. So the downside is I do think that that... that that organization kind of calcified a little bit. It didn't seem like they were, you know, and it's, this is a really big asterisk to place on anything. So I, I acknowledge this right off the bat. You get Dirk, you get Luca. What they did in between, and especially in between the championship in 2011 and getting Luca, not a lot of innovation going on there. Not a lot of big wins, not a lot of draft picks that they aced, not, you know, they kept going into free agency and nobody was coming. So having Dirk all those years and now having Luca kind of masks, I think, some of, of what was going on there that they just weren't quite on the cutting edge anymore. Um, and be, that said, all due credit, they've won a ton of games. They've been in the playoffs more often than not. They won a championship within the last 10 years. Um, I think change was kind of overdue, to be honest. You know, the machinations of Bob Vulgaris and everything else notwithstanding, this is kind of where they needed to get to. Yeah, I think change can be good, especially for an organization that despite their championship, the last decade has not yielded much in terms of playoff success. In fact, it's yielded nothing. They haven't won a first round series or won a series in a decade, you know, like, so it's not like they've, you know, they were on the cusp of winning something and they decided to shake things up. There were plenty of reasons that have nothing to do with the drama behind the scenes to shake things up. And look, if it was pretty well known that, that Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic were not always on the same page. Rick has not always connected with young guys. And while he did construct an offense that Luka could do whatever he wants in that offense, like he runs you know, pick and roll like every play, he can isolate whenever he wants. Um, I, I got the sense from, from talking to different people there that you know, they, they were, there was some friction you know, in that relationship. So bringing in a different coach uh, might make some sense. Here's hoping that Dallas doesn't overthink itself and doesn't you know think too much. Jamal Mosley is sitting on that bench. Jamal Mosley has interviewed at multiple places over the last few years. He is considered a coaching candidate on the rise. He's eventually going to get a head coaching job. He's got a great relationship with Luca. Uh, why not just elevate him? Like let's not let's not outsmart ourselves in this one. Now you, you do want to hire the GM first. I get that because if you hire the coach first, it becomes kind of messy. But whatever GM you hire, I think you got to say to him like. Consider that guy. Like, the guy sitting on our bench right now, give him a long look. The other part of the GM search, Howard, is, like, 
you know, Mark Cuban likes to say publicly that Donnie Nelson does everything. He's in charge. Mark Cuban is heavily involved in basketball operations there. Like, he has the final say in every transaction. Sometimes it goes beyond just money. Like, it's not just Cuban kind of analyzing the numbers and making sure it works. Like, Cuban, he'll input, he'll have basketball input uh, with that group, which I think is always dangerous when you're talking about owners. So I, I think that, you know, whatever GM comes in, you know, Mark Cuban, I think, it would probably behoove him to take more of a hands-off approach uh, with that front office there and allow whatever person you hire to make basketball decisions to be the only one with the power yeah. to make basketball decisions. Well, think about it this way. Why did, why did we criticize over the last 10 years? Why have we so often criticized Jim Dolan with the Knicks or Robert Sarver with the Suns? Because they were meddling too much. Vivek Renadive with the Kings, another one. Guys who, as owners, were too hands-on who thought they knew more than they did about basketball and how to run a team. Cuban is as hands-on as anybody, but he's been insulated from that criticism in large part because they won. They had Dirk. They won a championship. They were in the playoffs all the time. They had a ton of 50-win seasons. But, you know, when things are not going as well, and look, you know, look, they've got Luka. They're, they're going to be fine. And Luka's going to be under contract for a long time. Luka's not forcing, not forcing his way out anytime soon. He's going to take the max extension, just like every young player on a rookie deal does. They've got time to figure and it out. He's going to get the first. He's going to get that first two hundred plus million rookie max extension. Yes. So he's he's getting every dollar but, that can possibly but, come his way. But listen, this is this would be a good time for Cuban to have the self awareness to think. You know what? Maybe this would be a good time to hire a strong GM who I fully empower and step back a little bit. And the guy he should be at least going all out to get. I don't know if he's actually gettable. But Masai Ujiri sitting there in Toronto, I believe, still has not signed a new deal with the Raptors, has he? No, no, not as far as I so, know. So this is one of the best GMs in the NBA, and I got to think has, is still unsigned for a reason. I don't know where that ultimately is going to end up. I thought, as we talked about before, the Celtics should have chased Masai Ujiri before just elevating Brad Stevens, who's never done the job before. Mark Cuban, I don't, I don't think Masai would go there, by the way, unless Mark Cuban did decide to pull way back. And so, you know, maybe he's not gettable for any number of reasons, but... The best move for the Mavericks right now with Luka there and your the future of your franchise resting on building the right team around him, keeping him happy, I'd go get Masai Ujiri. And then I would back away as as owner and say, it's your show. Run it. Now, Masai has had complete autonomy in Toronto working with Larry Tannenbaum and that ownership group. He's definitely not going somewhere that he doesn't feel like he has that exact thing. Like He's going to have his pick of open jobs. I mean, he could take a year off and have his pick of open jobs in 2022. So Dallas, I, I, I'm i not so sure. I, I, I agree they should. I don't know if I see the fit there uh, with Masai and that organization. One more thing I want to get to, Howard, speaking of fit. Stan Van Gundy out after one year in New Orleans. Now, I, I get that Stan rubs some players the wrong way with his coaching style. He's old school. He's gruff. He runs long practices when he's allowed to have practices. He runs long shoot-arounds as... Anybody that's ever coached that team knows it. I mean, J.J. Redick made the joke like when Stan was hired, like, great, I'm back with, I'm paraphrasing here, but like, great, I'm back with Stan Van Gundy again. Like, it was one thing to do it as a rookie and a young player. It's nothing to do it as a 10-year veteran. Um, you know, but that being said, I gauge, like, the success of a head coach based on all a coach having is, like, a two-week training camp, no practice time, a whole new roster. Like, I don't know. That That's, you know, like, look, maybe David Griffin saw something that made him 100% sure that Stan Van Gundy wasn't work. But that surprised me a little bit. I knew there were some issues there with guys in the locker room and Stan's style of coaching specifically. Not his personality, 
but his style of coaching specifically. But what did you make of the Stan Van Gundy era ending after just one year in New Orleans? I think it's pretty alarming. That's pretty alarming. I mean, that you know, David Griffin hires Stan, has to fire him less than a full year later, one shortened season. Um, it means you made the re- the wrong bet. And and what I mean by that is I'm not saying I'm not criticizing the hire, and I'm not saying that Stan can't coach. Stan's a really great coach, but fit was obviously a problem. This this might have been the wrong coach for the wrong team at the wrong time. And your job as the GM, of course, is to make the right bets at the right time. And your job as, as coach, obviously, with a young team like that is make sure that Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram are on the right path and are getting every opportunity possible to maximize their talents and and break through to the playoffs sooner than later. They may not have made the playoffs even in the best case scenario this season. There's talent there, but it's a kind of a, you know, it's a funky arrangement around those two guys. I don't know if this team was really ready to compete at that level, but they underachieved by too much. And so, but, but it is alarming, you know, to, to have to part ways with the coach so quickly. Um, that's, that's a problem. And it says to me, given that we know, like, this isn't like they were experimenting, right? They didn't go out and grab some unproven coach and go, oops, turns out that longtime assistant is not a good head coach. And that happens. That's called the, uh, Nate Bjorken. We call that in <laughs> Indiana. I mean, that's actually what it is. Yeah. It's, yes. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that. You've got a proven coach, a guy who, you know, coached three other teams, Miami, Orlando, Detroit, to various levels of success, or maybe not in some spots. But you know that Stan can coach. You know he's really smart about the game. Um, but for him to be gone that quickly means that it was that it was that dicey of a situation, which means you probably had players saying, we, we can't, we can't keep going down this path. You know, they, you don't throw somebody over that quickly and have to pay out their contract and everything that comes with that, unless things were really dire. And so that means now all attention in that organization is going to be on, on David Griffin and his front office staff. Like that's, that's the next thing you get your, your, you know, you get your mulligan, but now it's the pressure's on and um, you know, they got to make the playoffs next year. You know, no one's going to be patient about that. Yeah. I mean, and you can't keep changing coaches on a guy like Zion. He'll have his third coach in three years. You want to try to get some stability there. You know what makes sense there? Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni makes a lot of sense in New Orleans. I mean, you've got an elite wing scorer like Ingram. You've got, uh, and I'm, let's say they bring back Lonzo Ball on some kind of contract, but you've got a guy that can play make and plays up-tempo in Lonzo and a unique big in Zion. Like, I would love to see what Mike D'Antoni could do with a unique big man like Zion Williams, that team would put up a lot of points with Mike Dayton. It wouldn't, it wouldn't address their defensive issues. They have to figure that one out. But yeah, yeah you can, you can probably be a playoff team next year with Mike D'Antoni as your head coach. If all you want to do in the short term is make sure that we are fun, exciting, evolving, like Mike, Mike D'Antoni got a lot of guys paid over the years as a yeah. head coach because of the style of play and because he gives players confidence. He gives them room to just be them. It's one of the great things. It's one of the underrated things about Mike D'Antoni. There's plenty to criticize if you want to about the defense and everything else. You can have those discussions. That's fine. One of the things that he always did really well, though, in every stop is he empowers his players. He, he's like, I'm never going to pull you for taking a quote-unquote bad shot. He doesn't really believe in a bad shot, clearly. But he would make Zion the small ball center and he'd be like a point center because we've seen how, how well he can handle the ball and run an offense. And if you have, you know, him and Lonzo at the two ends there, if you re-sign Lonzo, you got a lot of playmaking. Ingram, Ingram can do a lot with the ball in his hands. I, I think, you know, Steven Adams probably does not fit on a Mike D'Antoni team. And, you know, he got that extension there. Like, I don't know what the heck you do with that. But um, yeah, you know, would you make a deep playoff run? Would you play enough defense to get to the conference finals? No. But this team is young anyway. They don't need to make those kind of leaps. They just need to get uh, show progress 
and get some postseason experience under their belt, Mike D'Antoni would get them there. I agree. Yeah, and look, players that have never played for Mike D'Antoni, like, want to. Like, he's someone that they talk... Like, I know a lot of young players that have talked to people around them about playing for Mike D'Antoni one day. Like, not just about getting paid, but, like, playing a free-flowing offensive style that's going to get them a lot of numbers. Uh, there's a desire to play for Mike D'Antoni, and Mike clearly wants to be a head coach again. He's interviewed a couple spots uh, already, so we'll see. Maybe not be a direction David Griffin wants to go, but could be an interesting one if he decides to to consider it. Uh, Howard, always good stuff, man. We'll do it again next week. Always a pleasure, my friend. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.